0: Hi everybody, welcome to Toro Sports Talks. I'm your host, Peter Toro. Today is February 9th. A lot to talk about in women's sports. It's the first podcast of 2021, so I'm really excited. I'm um, going to talk about National Women's Soccer League, U.S. Women's Soccer Training Camps, ahead of the She Believes Cup. Also going to be talking about UConn Women's Basketball, NCAA Women's Basketball in general, as well as skiing championships uh, in, happening in Cortina this week. But first, to start off today, I'm going to be talking about uh, Lisa Clarendon and the inclusion of trans people in athletics. Joe Biden has just passed a new bill that will include transgender athletes in high school sports, and I didn't know that this was um, something that didn't already exist. Um, coming from Connecticut, it's been in place for a while. I know that we've had Connecticut in high school sports, transgender athletes have uh, long been included, and it's been a point of contention, and I want to talk about why it shouldn't be, especially in high school sports. Um, So let's start off the, the podcast with that. Um, transgender athletes have long been discriminated against, and it doesn't really make sense to me because we talk about equal playing field all the time, but the opportunity to equality and fair play in sports is often uh, romanticized, I think, and I think People like to point out that sports are a fair playing field and that sports are one of those things in life that it's always a fair game. And then when people cheat, they want it to be taken aback. But transgender athletes aren't cheating. They're just being people. And I think that's, especially in high school, it's like we should just be inclusive because it's the right thing to do. And I think that's an important caveat here. And I think the Biden administration has it on point. And I think a lot of people are getting upset for no reason because you should just want people to be happy and comfortable in their own skin and being their own person. Um, so I think that's why it's so huge that Leisha Clarendon, who is a WNBA basketball player, she recently got top surgery and she has come out and brought that news to, to the world. And I think that that is so huge for so many reasons because the representation within sports is very, uh, it's very whitewashed in the sense that Leisha Clarendon is a black trans person in the WNBA. So being there's not too many people that look like her and that people that um can identify with her. So, I think that's big. And I think, you know, just today, actually, OL Rain came out with a statement supporting one of their players, Quinn, who also came out as trans uh, this past summer. And they said they play here in their season ticket promo. And I think this is huge because the more that sports are integrating uh, trans athletes, the more accurate depiction of the world it creates. And again, People want to talk about fairness, but the equal opportunity to play in sports is nothing, is not fair. It's It just isn't, and when you look at professional sports, uh, the landscape that's created from positions to teams isn't fair either in the representation of sports. So I don't want to hear the argument of, well, it's not fair because women's bodies or males' bodies are physically um, stronger or faster or better, and I think those claims people say, oh, science disputes that. I don't agree. I think that, um, you look at people as people and let them compete and whatever happens, happens. I don't think that, uh, for being a man, you are genetically, mentally, physically superior to anyone. And I don't think, I think women are equal in all of those regards. And it just, depends on what you're doing. I think if you take any athlete and put them in anything, they because they're athletic, they're going to be able to perform. But I don't think that being a man just automatically gives you the right to be uh, superior to women. And I think people, and you see it on social media and TikTok and all this stuff that um, when this topic comes up, that you see boys, freaking out and saying, oh, well, I'll have a career in, you know, the WNBA. Well, no, that's not how it works because people aren't transitioning to get an advantage. They're transitioning to be comfortable and be true to themselves. So it's not the same thing of saying, well, they're not doing it to cheat. Like, I think people go up in arms, and I went over this in uh, one of the other episodes on the podcast last year with uh, Caster Semenya. And just because she is someone who is brilliant, because she is muscular, people hate on her, and I think that this is something that we need to change in uh, both society and in sports. But it's it's something that this has to start with the acceptance of allowing trans athletes and trans people to participate in sports and the fact that people are upset about it for high school sports is absolutely ridiculous because it's high school sports if you're holding on to your high school sports then that's a whole other conversation because high school athletics don't matter I don't want to hear that you're going to lose scholarship to go to college you're not going to like if you come in second. In your state race in high school, you're still going to get a scholarship for whatever it is that you're doing, for a race, for lacrosse, for whatever it is. If you come in second, you if you control the things that you're able to control, nothing bad is going to happen. Like people come up with these ridiculous notions that uh, trans athletes and the inclusion of them is going to ruin women's sports, and it's not. the The bigger problem is having people. Uh, watch women's sports and getting them to the television and having companies uh, putting them on TV. I think I say this all the time, that 4% of the total sports market is dedicated to women's sports. Stuff like that is killing women's sports. Not giving women's sports a voice at the table is killing women's sports. Including transgender athletes to be able to be true to themselves and happy with who they are is not going to kill women's sports. I think that people who use that... It's such a double... uh, It just doesn't make sense. It's such a double standard. And people use that. Because the people that are saying that... don't watch women's sports in the first place. They don't care about women's sports. They want you to think they care about the equality in women's sports by saying that. But in reality, those are the same people that have never watched a U.S. women's national team game. That have never watched a WNBA game. That couldn't name you... uh, any female skier, they can't name, and I, I recognize not many people probably can, but still, the, my my argument remains the same in that those are the type of people that don't contribute to women's sports that are saying those things, so I don't want to hear about that argument. I do want to applaud uh, Leisha Clarendon and largely the WNBA um, for being so supportive of her getting top surgery and coming out as trans because that's not an easy thing to do. And again, I think that that goes so deep into, uh, just bringing up different voices and bringing and showing representation in so many ways and allowing others to be able to believe and see themselves when they think of a basketball player. Um, I know for myself, whenever I get to watch someone like Chris sale pitch, that's huge because, Growing up, I always wanted to play baseball. I wanted that's that's every kid's dream, but you don't really get to believe that you can do it until you can see it already being done. So, I think that's huge. So, when you get so again, this is a very basic example from a white straight guy who's just scrawny and doesn't weigh a lot. But when you get to see someone like Chris Sale, who's a a twig out there throwing on a major league baseball field. That's huge to kids that are twigs out there and want to play sports. The same goes for someone who's transgender or gay or black and wants to play basketball and is a woman. It's the same idea. And I think that this gets lost and we see it so often. And this happens in positions as well that The NFL pretty much just decided up until recently that you couldn't be black and be a quarterback, that it just didn't exist. And if you look at the studies have been done to look at the vocabulary used to describe black players, and it always relates to their physical abilities and relates to them being closer examined to animals than to people, whereas white players are more likely to be described as smart, intelligent, and relying on their skills and being able to think about situations. And this is, is happens, you see it with the, the quarterback position all the time, that when Lamar Jackson, who's one of the best players in the league, was drafted, people said that he's much better suited to be a wide receiver or running back purely based off of his race. So you see this connection in several facets of the game of games whether it's trans athletes gay athletes black athletes people are always trying to shut them out and underrepresent them so that's why i believe and i believe most people should believe that it's a good thing to include trans people in athletics you should be accepting it's not going to destroy the games It's not going to take over the world. It's a good thing to include these things. So I'm glad that that's how we're starting off the podcast. And next I'm going to be talking about uh, Cortina, the World Championships for Skiing. They're coming up this week. They were supposed to already happen the last two days. But Cortina has been going through uh, some winter storms. And they've been pushed off until Thursday for the Women's Super G and Slalom Races. So I'm going to get into the overall U.S. ski team as well as the skiing climate and where we are in World Cup standing. So that's coming up right now. Alrighty, so let's get going on uh, Cortina and the World Skiing Championships that are going on for for Alpine Skiing in the FIS season. Um, so this season was honestly really weird because normally in the past it's been the Michaela Schifrin show, and I don't want to take away anything from Michaela Schifrin because Schifrin has, has been and probably is the most dominant skier uh, in the sport normally it's her Petrovlova at top and it's everybody else this year it was wide open from the get-go and you love it I love to see it because it just makes everything so much more interesting and in the world of skiing when the uh, the times are so close uh, from the downhill to slalom giant slalom super g it, it makes it so much more entertaining, and to me, the women's uh, skiing is so much better because it can lit- there's there's like 10 skiers that any one of them can take first place, and every single time, there's a new skier that comes up out of nowhere and has a hell of a run, and it just makes the sport so exciting to watch. I love watching it every weekend. Um, so we're going to talk about some of the surprises this season and some of the uh, other regulars like Schifrin. Um, Overall, Shifrin, I'm going to just start with her. Overall, she she had an injury-plagued season where she really just wasn't able to ever find her groove. And saying that is hilarious to think about because even with her, this easily was not her best season of skiing compared to what she's done in the past. She's still in the top 10. She's 7th overall in points. She has 615 points and sits uh, firmly in seventh place overall in the world cup standings. So Michaela Schifrin, the best skier on the planet has a down year and she comes in seventh. I mean that it just shows you how incredible she is. And normally she dominates in the slalom and, um, there really weren't as many slalom races this year due to cancelings with COVID and, and also weather stuff and they weren't really able to ever make them up. Um, But she had a hell of a year. But overall, the U.S. ski team—this was the best skiing from the U.S. as a team. um, I think I've ever in my lifetime that I've witnessed. You've had youngsters like Paula Molson and Breezy Johnson, as well as Nina O'Brien, really being able to take up the slack. Because in years past, Schifrin, the U.S. has relied on Schifrin to race in all of the disciplines because there just wasn't anyone else that could ski that you would. That the team thought was gonna ski and take points this year it was completely different. Paula Molson really came into came into herself. She came in second overall in the parallel slalom. Uh, Petrovlova, Petrovlova, who is the world number one skier right now, uh, overtook her in that. So losing to Petrovlova is not something to be disappointed about. Uh, Paula Molson skiing out of her mind. Breezy Johnson. Breezy Johnson has a possibility, and this is a huge possibility now too. Um, of winning the downhill World Cup, uh, Globe, which is essentially like the World Championship. That's the the, the Globe is the trophy that you win uh, in Cortina this year. And Breezy Johnson, she came in the podium, I believe, four times in a row, and four out of her five last races that she she goes into the downhill uh, for the World Championships. Breezy Johnson is. 25 years old, and this is the really the first time that you've heard of her skiing at this level. She is second overall in the downhill and 15th overall in the World Cup standings. Also, the top downhill skier, uh, Sofia Goggia, who's Italian, uh, she will not be skiing in the World Cups due to a knee injury. So this opens the door completely for Breezy Johnson. In my opinion, she is the favorite to win the downhill, and it's super exciting to see some new young blood and I say new young blood, like Michaela Schifrin isn't young, because I, I believe Schifrin's 27. So it's not like she's old by any stretch of the imagination. It's just in skiing, you know, who knows how long you can ever uh, last what, with the amount of wear and tear that it takes on your body day in and day out. But for for Breezy Johnson, this is just insane. Oh, actually, Schifrin's 25, so I take that back. So they're actually the same age, but this is the same time that Breezy Johnson is breaking in to the downhill arena. So it's wonderful to see and Breezy Johnson, Paula Moltson, Nino O'Brien, they're all gonna be competing in Cortina. And I think this is the shift that a lot of US skiing fans and you know certainly US ski skiing wants to see within the sport because for years and years and years it's been the Lindsey Vaughn show and then that torch was passed to Michaela Schifrin. So to see so many other young skiers being able to participate in the skiing uh, landscape is just wonderful to see. Next, I'm going to be talking about Michelle Geisen, because Michelle Geisen is, uh, she, and for my money, she, she's been the most entertaining skier to watch on the women's circuit. Um, normally it's pet, last year it was Petrovlova for me and Wendy Holdender. They're two of my favorites also, but Michelle Geisen has just been consistently podium after podium and in every single discipline. She sits in third place overall in the, FIS Alpine uh, ski table. So she's third place overall. Uh, Downhill, she's 15th overall. Slalom, fourth overall. Giant Slalom, third overall. And the Super G, 14th overall. So she's just been ripping it up in every single uh, skiing discipline that you can. And she has just been winning podium after podium after podium. This year, she has won one race come in second twice and come in third twice so she has five total world cup podiums this season and just week in and week out Michelle Geisen has just been coming and her style of skiing is it's just so aggressive but also so beautiful to watch it's so her turns are so crisp and clean everything that she does it's very similar to uh, Schiffrin style skiing, but she just goes for it, and it's fun to watch her just come out of the starting gates and go for it. So excited to see what she will do here in the World Championships this week. And the last skier that I'm going to talk about is uh, Laura Gut Barami. Laura Gute has is a primarily downhill skier, and she has just been absolutely killing it um, in the Super G this year. She's first place, I believe she's come back to win three of the Super G's this season which is pretty amazing um considering Laura Goot a couple years ago big name always making top headlines and then she went through a lot of injuries where she really wasn't able to compete she's been skiing since 2008 she is 29 so you know four or five years older than her competitors of where they they are in age and in their body and she has she's second overall in this run of skiing that she's been able to do it wasn't, it's not since uh, 2017 that she's been this high. And with the injuries, honestly, I, it looked like her career was over. Um, but it's really good to see the Swedish uh, skier coming out and being able to continue to ski at such a high level and in the Super G and in the downhill in her primary disciplines. Uh, so, really exciting to see what Laura group Barami is going to bring to the table here in Cortina this week. If you want to watch that, you have to watch. You can probably watch either on the Olympic Channel or NBC Sports. Um, they're going to be on at absurd times, my recommendation. Uh, and what I do is you have now you have to do it through Peacock, um, which is horrible, but that's what uh, the landscape of TV and especially sports has turned into is streaming services. So, Olympic Channel is an option. Um, also, but. Peacock is probably the best way to be able to watch them live or recorded so you don't have to wake up at 4 in the morning or at midnight and staying up till midnight to be able to watch the World Cup Skiing Championships. So that's all I got on the World Cup Skiing Championships. Really excited to see uh, Schifrin, the U.S. ski team, and as well as my favorites, Michelle, Geisen, Laura Goot and uh, Petrovlova and seeing how they all perform in Cortina this week. Alrighty, moving right on to soccer. Going to start overseas in the WSL, the FA Cup in England. I'm going to start with just the table. The top four is getting jam-packed. Chelsea sits atop the table with Manchester United with 32 points each. Right behind them is City and then Arsenal at 23 points. City's at 30 points in the table entering this week. Of course, this is a big week for the WSL and uh, especially for Manchester United. United is going to actually be playing City on Friday. So that's a big game to watch ahead of this week. It will be on NBC Sports this week on Friday. Um, so WSL has been fantastic to watch. In my my opinion, it's been the best football um, that you can watch for the uh, for the women's side. Uh, United has came out on fire to start the year. And sense has kind of dwindled off with a couple injuries, but they still sit at the top of the table. Goal differential is pretty solid. It doesn't really uh, speak to the table because Chelsea is plus 31, City is plus 32, and Arsenal is plus 29 in the goal differential, and United lacks behind with a uh, plus 19. But points are points, and they have 32 points, so they're tied for first with Chelsea. Something that uh, has been hurting United as of late is uh, Tobin Heath is out for the foreseeable future with an ankle injury. She's in a boot, and uh, manager Casey Stone said last week that she doesn't know when Tobin Heath will be available again, if she will be available this season. So that's a big blow to United and also to the U.S. Women's National Team with the She Believes Cup coming up. Uh, in the coming weeks. So that's something to keep an eye on. Tobin Heath was not in the roster and is not in training camp for the U.S. Women's National Team ahead of the She Believes Cup here in Florida. Um, But Kristen Press was invited and she has uh, accepted that. She's also playing in for United too. Another key point to keep an eye on with a Tobin Heath and Kristen Press is that their rights were drafted in the expansion for the National Women's Soccer League in America by Louisville Racing, Louisville FC. So it's still to be seen whether Tobin Heath and Kristen Press will play for the National Women's Soccer League as their contracts with United last for another year. We've seen a lot of NWSL players moved to England, among them the rival to United City. Abi Dahlkemper just moved to City from North Carolina, Courage, uh, along with other American players Sam Mewis, the Tower of Power, and Rose Lavelle for City. So this game is filled with American talent. Um, A lot of these players also, though, are in training camp for the U.S. Women's National Team ahead of the She Believes Cup. So that's something to keep an eye on um, just in general with the with the expansion of the National Women's Soccer League and the WSL and the FA League uh, over in England is seeing how how much talent is going to go overseas. Um, to say that, again, I think I've talked about this in the past, it's not a detrimental blow to the National Women's Soccer League. It's still a top league and has plenty of talent to go around in the league. And the fact that it continues to expand shows the success and how, how great... Uh, women's football has come in America and how it continues to grow uh, across the the world and it's it's really a positive thing to see all these leagues popping up and fighting for the best players because that's how um, the game is going to get bigger and better is that it you want you want the best players you want competition and it's going to result in these players getting paid more so it's a wonderful wonderful thing to see and it's really excited really exciting to see happen also across the NWSL, uh, the WSL, and also in other countries like France where uh, new talent like uh, Katrina Macario, uh, she was a junior at Stanford and she actually waived her rights to be drafted in the National Women's Soccer League um, because she signed with top team Olympic Lyon in League One in France. Uh, Katrina Macario is pretty much determined to be the next face of u.s soccer she's brazilian and american and has been deemed eligible to play by fifa for the u.s women's national team she was featured in friendlies against Colombia uh, last month and she's going she's also in the she believes cup roster for the u.s women's national team so it's really exciting to see Again, more young talent coming up through the U.S. Women's National Team System, and it's really exciting to see what they're going to be able to do. It's great that Macario, um, especially given all the uncertainty surrounding uh, NCAA sports, uh, be able to play and be able to improve her game at such a high level, and there's really no better team than Lyon to do that with. She's going to be challenged day in and day out at practice, games, uh, with some of the best players on her team as well as uh, against some of the best competition that the world has to offer playing in League One. So it's a wonderful thing and it's exciting to see nonetheless for Katrina Macario as well as the rest of the U.S. Women's National Team to see them continuing to flourish. Some unexpected uh, absentees from the U.S. Women's National Team training uh, ahead of the She Believes Cup is Ashlyn Harris and Allie Krieger. Uh, Allie Krieger it's, it's somewhat interesting just because before, when Jill Ellis was the manager, before Vlako Andonovski took over, uh, she was pretty much exiled ahead of the 2019 World Cup for a better half of two years, and then she worked her way back into the national team, and now she's being left off ahead of the uh, She Believes Cup, which essentially is a big uh, ticket kind of turnaround before the Olympics start here assuming that the Olympics happen this summer, it's a little surprising to see someone like Allie Krieger left off of the roster, as well as uh, her wife, Ashlyn Harris, who's a goalkeeper. Uh, Ashlyn Harris, still for my money, is the best number two option because Alyssa Nair has proved to be the number one day in and day out of camp, and uh, I don't see that changing anytime soon. But I was a little surprised to see uh, Ashlyn Harris out of camp, and Casey Murphy in camp. So we'll see if that means anything. Vlaco Andonovsky answered questions about it, who's the current manager for the U.S. Women's National Team, and he said don't read into it too much, and, you know, I don't know. I I, I think Vlako Andonovsky has done a wonderful job, so I'm going to believe him and say I'm not going to worry about it. I think Ashlyn Harris and Allie Krieger still make their way into the final roster um for the She Believes Cup and for the, uh, or not for the She Believes Cup, but rather for the, uh, for the Olympic final roster, which it's only 18, which seems pretty crazy because these rosters are upwards of 20 players. So how Andonofsky going to, um, bring that number down. I don't think he's going to make any huge changes from the World Cup roster that we saw in 2019. I think that those changes are going to come after the Olympic calendar ends. I don't think, Uh, I don't see any real reason or any real benefit to uh, uprooting the team ahead of the Olympics. Uh, This team has still shown that even when they're not in top physical form, uh, given COVID and the climate that it's created and not being able to stay 100% fit, the U.S. Women's National Team is still leaps and bounds ahead of uh, the rest of the world. And uh, to the people saying that the gap is closing, I still don't believe it. I still don't see it. I think that the game is getting better on a club level. However, I think funding for national team level still has to improve uh, vastly before anyone even starts to think they have a chance at beating the U.S. women's national team. Saying that, that's where I'm going to leave it for uh, U.S. women's national team talk and uh, soccer in general. And we're going to keep moving on to UConn women's basketball and NCAA women's basketball coming up right now. How about those UConn women Huskies? UConn coming off of beating number one ranked South Carolina in Gampel Pavilion last night. This comes off of the highest viewed women's basketball game ever for Fox Sports 1 Network. Uh, just over Average just over 461,000 views. And that actually beat the so-called primetime game of the men's game that was shown afterwards. So the U.S. women's basketball and South Carolina outdrew the so-called primetime game. Again, if you build it, they will come. If you put women's sports on TV, people will watch it. Um, so something to keep an eye on. And I think uh, the Big East is owned, their, their rights are owned by FS1 and Fox Sports. So I think you're going to see more primetime matchups for UConn, which is huge. And, you know, the Big East has got to love it and get more attention to that conference because it's a good conference with uh, teams like UConn and other teams that people don't necessarily know about with Marquette and DePaul. These are two high-power offenses, along with UConn, who has just been absolutely fantastic. I don't think UConn has left. Um, However, you know, it's Connecticut basketball, so people expect national championships every single year, and when those don't happen, people get upset. Um, Again, I think it relates to the idea that women's sports have to be perfect in order to gain attention and I think that it's been that way for UConn for a long long time but I don't think they've left but I mean this freshman class is just absolutely amazing Paige Beckers becomes the first UConn basketball player in history to score 30 points in three consecutive games which speaks enough for itself but I mean she is sun- she is the perfect combination of just tenacity guard play and intelligence on the court and it's fun to watch her uh she has absolute ice in her veins when she's shooting uh the she doesn't necessarily take over the game until she absolutely needs to I think she she rather pass first but the way that she shoots the ball she takes over games late when the when UConn needs it most, and she showed that on display last night, scoring the last four points of the game to win the game in overtime against South Carolina. Number one team in the nation. Um after this week they won't be. I think UConn will be the unanimous uh number one. And this season has really just been eye opening for UConn. You see players uh like Nika Mule. Also, another freshman really being able to step up and be a defensive presence for UConn. It's pretty amazing to see what these youngsters have been able to do for UConn and Gino Oriema. I think overall this is the most, one of the most, if not the most, uh, open women's basketball seasons have have been. You see top teams losing Week in and week out, and that's you know, case in point when they're playing, you know, number one versus number two. But also, UConn has beaten the likes of Tennessee, NC State has lost two games, which they're ranked number four right now. But I don't think they're going to be after this. Other teams have just been able to play really tight games. Gonzaga women's basketball, they're ranked, I believe, up to 17 right now, 16 in the coaches' poll, and they should have beat South Carolina in like the first week of the season. Uh, Teams like DePaul are playing really well. Arkansas beat the likes of UConn a couple weeks back and then lose to two unranked teams. Same with South Dakota State played uh, South Dakota twice and beat them and they're ranked twenty-three. They South Dakota State in reference beat Gonzaga earlier in the year. So you see all these teams, it's a wide open playing field in terms of women's basketball. And it just makes it so exciting coming down to the wire, especially in a season when you don't know if there's gonna be conference championships. And I think that well, there are really good teams that are going to be left out. I think every team one to twenty five really has a shot. I mean Syracuse is a dangerous team. I would hate to face Syracuse and the likes of Tiana Mangakahia, um, because that that offense is scary. They have a six-seven center. She's just absolutely filthy under the bucket. She cleans up everything for rebounds. Then you have uh, Tiana Mangakahia, who was she's a senior now from Australia. Beat breast cancer for. Uh, Syracuse, and she's an absolute floor general, runs the floor wonderfully. Great passer, great shooter. Syracuse is a dangerous team who they've beaten very good teams and lost a couple games that they probably shouldn't have. But that's been this season. And especially when there's been a lack of consistency uh, with COVID that that's provided, it's it's really impossible to know. And NCAA just announced that the women's bracket will be played only in one location as well. The women's final four will be taking place exclusively in San Antonio and everywhere from the Sweet 16 on will be taking place in the Alamo Dome. So that's again it's something that when you look at these teams you know a great team that really has struggled to win games is a team like Texas but if Texas goes on a run they're not going to have to travel at all you know for throughout their time in the tournament players like Charlie Collier uh, for Texas she's just had a monster season and is uh, one of the top 10 centers in the game right now so it's going to be interesting to see you know I, th- I think playing in one location is going to be huge for some teams and detrimental to to others and obviously it helps because it's a level playing field having most likely no fans I can't imagine too many people would be able to show up but it's because it's going to be happening in San Antonio who knows Um, but playing in that, uh, unique environment, I think it's going to really show the, the best teams, uh, from, from the good teams. And I I think that's going to separate the two. And I would say right now, my, my top team has to be UConn, just given, uh, the depth that they have in years past, they've had really good players like Katie Lou Samuelson and Nafisha Callier, uh, being able to score a lot of points and play a lot of good defense, but, I don't think that they have they lack the depth that uh, this UConn team has and the size that they also have with players like Olivia Nelson-Adota in the center and also other freshmen like Aliyah Edwards who's really come out and been able to be another Nelson-Adota that they didn't know they were going to have at the start of the season. So I think that's huge. Um, as always, I'm going to be uh, impartial and say that uh, Gonzaga women's Basketball is a team to watch. I don't think I don't understand how people call them a mid-major for the women's game and a bona fide number one, top twenty-five program every year for the men. I don't think that makes any sense, but they didn't ask me about it. So I think the the women's team had Jen and Lee Worth uh, underneath the basket, fantastic. Jill Townsend running point, uh, Sierra Walker shooting threes. It's a dangerous team. I just don't know uh, if they. It, hopefully. They'll be able to just continue to win games and put games under their belt. Uh, like every team, they've struggled to play consistent games on a consistent basis, and I think that's going to be a huge thing going forward in the tournament. Is getting teams into the tournament hot, and you know, if there's no conference championships, that changes the landscape a lot because if you go in and you just have a great season but you take a week and a half off because of COVID and then travel and this and that it can be a while since you played your last basketball game so I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, where the NCAA women's basketball season takes us. Alrighty we got through it all that's the the end of the podcast thank you so much as always for listening Quick note before I leave everyone is that the Australian Open is going on right now and uh, Serena Williams is on her quest for her 24th major title at the Australian Open. uh, It started a couple days ago and will be running through February 21st. So be sure to tune in. It's on ESPN uh, every day, pretty much all day. So be sure to tune in and watch some amazing tennis being played. As always, thank you so much for listening to Toro Sports Talks. I'm your host, Peter Toro.